these clubs have different ambitions, no? And and it's it's very important for the league to have very ambitious clubs because their growth equals our growth, and our growth equals their growth. So it's really a symbiotic relationship. Football Friday on the first day of 2021. It couldn't have panned out any more perfectly than this. And we've got the man of the year in 2020 as our first guest, Chris. Yeah, Happy New Year, Jing. Um, Coco Tori, the first guest for 2021. I mean, he was the man of the year for 2020. So who better than to get the league commissioner on for our very first episode of the new year? really fun episode like great to get his own version and his own account of how things went down uh, for last season's PFL 2020 um, we almost got him to to divulge some uh, groundbreaking news as to who the new teams are going to be next season but uh, you did your best Jing didn't you but we didn't quite draw it out of him but um, no I mean he's someone who normally is is more working diligently in the background but to hear him speak um, and give his own first-hand account was 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 really great, and I'm sure the listeners, the viewers, are, are really going to enjoy it. We've got a, a great take on this year, also things to look forward to. There's a lot that's covered here on this show, and it's a great way to get to know Coco Torre himself. We hope you enjoy it, and if you do, please do subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Please take some time to rate and review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps the algorithm put us out there to more football fans who might be interested in Philippine football. So please do rate and review don't forget all right and also we'd appreciate if you guys send us a line on facebook twitter and on instagram we're all over social media we'd appreciate hearing from each and every one of you without further ado we've got coco torre on the first football friday of 2021 happy new year on this football friday 2020 behind us in front of us a full year's worth of potential and today We've got a great guest to start things off in 2021. Chris, none other than the man who we, we, we crowned as the man of the year in 2020. We've got Coco Torre on the show today. He's a very elusive character, is, is Mr. Torre. We, we've been trying to pin him down for a while. Um, we, we've obviously talked a lot about his, um, his, his, the great work that he did this year um, on, the, on the most recent podcast that we did. And uh, he proclaimed him, we gave him the title, we adorned him with the Man of the Year Award. And uh, what, a, what a great opportunity to actually sit down and have a chat with him, Jing. So, um, yeah, really excited for this one. It's the first ever that we've crowned somebody the Man of the Year. It's a prestigious title. Uh, and you have a piece of history now, Coco. How does it feel to be on Across the Line? Welcome all the way from Bacolod City. Uh, first and foremost, Happy New Year, uh, Happy Chris New Year, and Jing. <laughs> and um, again, I would like to, I know that I thanked you before for that very flattering award. Um, so many people actually deserve credit for that award. And as I mentioned, um, across the line, surely belongs to the category of unsung heroes in the year 2020, simply because you kept football alive, relevant, and you know a lot of conversation. Um, it feels good to be here, Jing, um, as Chris uh, mentioned, I'm quite the elusive one. Um, normally, I'm, I'm not the type to sit down in podcasts, but uh, I do. Uh, it's my obligation, actually, to uh, sit down with the media and talk during press conferences. So this is a first for me. So my only request is for you to take it easy. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's, it's uh, re- really refreshing to see you both. I don't know what kind of hard-hitting questions we've got here on on this program for you, but uh, we're going to try our best. All right. Uh, Chris, um, man, so much to talk to about with with Coco here, but where do you want to start? I guess we really, I want to find out how how, how it felt once you finally managed to conclude the, the, the 2020 season. I mean, obviously... There were probably moments where a lot of us didn't think the uh, the league campaign w- w- was going to go ahead. So uh, for me, w- what was your sort of feelings once you managed to conclude uh, the most recent 2020 PFL season? You know, when um, United City FC for the first time lifted the trophy, the PFL 2020, it was not actually only them celebrating, but... Um, 
Philippine football in general was celebrating with them. It was uh, a very good sight to see. Um, some might say it's surreal. For me, it's quite surreal as well. If I look back on the months leading up to that uh, very important night, um, it feels good. Um, I felt very relieved at the same time to end the competition with uh, no more um, COVID-19 infections. Um, everybody uh, was, was healthy. Um, they were very cooperative. And you know, we ended the bubble with um, zero infections after the initial one. So the next um, thought that I had in mind was of course, what's up for next year? I mean, what's to happen? Um, considering that the, although the PFL 2020 has been concluded, COVID-19 is still there and it's ever evolving. I'm sure that you've heard it by the news, you know, about these new mutations now. So it's a challenge on top of another challenge, but uh, to conclude the PFL 2020 on how it was concluded, um, it, was a, it was a great achievement, Chris. Is that how you would describe it, um, Coco? Like, I mean, 2020 would be described in so many different ways for, by a lot of different people, uh, depending on what your experience was. But if you were to describe your experience for what would be a memorable historical year uh, that will be remembered for many, many um, generations to come, like, how would you describe 2020 for you? 2020 was the, was the year of the impossible for me, for Philippine football. I remember that... Um, and, and I, I'm sure you're aware of this, um, the time when the, the biggest club in Philippine football actually um, decided to uh, fold for unfortunate reasons, no? And in the headlines and in people's minds, they were saying that, could this be the end of Philippine football? So, and we don't really blame people for thinking that because the league, um, it's only down to uh, five teams then. And, and everybody knows that you need a minimum of six clubs to, to play the league. So, um, you know, and, and all these questions, it's not only for the football industry, but also for life in general. You know, everyone was uh, anxious. Anxiety is the fear of the unknown. And certainly um, people didn't really know how things would pan out given that um, we were in unprecedented times. So um, actually during March, um, I felt that, you know, these are just things that would pass, you know, just like other things, like when Taal volcano erupted, um, everybody knew that, okay, in a couple of months, maybe, you know, this, uh, this catastrophe would, would eventually end. And I think this was the line of thinking of um, most. Because, you know, like we are so advanced, uh, we are at a very advanced stage in, in our, um, in, in our uh, what do you call this, as, as humans, yeah. that we can just, you know, eventually just, just move over and continue with the next issue, get on with our lives. But when we heard that, you know, this might extend until June and July and then October, and then suddenly the news would tell you, you know, it might be two years, it was, you know, um, actually got scared <laughs> because this is something new. The emotion was, was fear and anxiety. And then, you know, uh, after you think about how your life will pan out, now you think about the football industry. Football in nature is a contact sport. Like things such as um, going to a shopping mall, um, maybe buying groceries, I mean, there's a way around it. You can wear your mask and face shield, but what about football? There's no way you can actually, actually I was thinking about it, how maybe we can play football wearing a mask. Maybe we can play football um, wearing a face shield. I don't know if Chris would agree to that. <laughs> but uh, We like one of those, uh, what they, they call the zorbs, you know, those big bubble things that they were all running around in before, like for, for jokes. You know, I was at one point thinking the PFL was going to be playing those zorbs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> or, or do we deduce the football matches into just a crossbar challenge? Is it like a relay race where we proclaim a champion who's the fastest, more agile? You know, like, of course, you, you, you tend to 
dig into your creative minds and see how we can be competitive at the same time, you know, um, uh, tiptoeing around this COVID-19. But of course, football is football and um, 11 aside on, on a 105 by 68 pitch um, has, to, has to remain. That is the main essence of football. So um, actually, we we were given we, we were shed a bit of uh, hope like we saw a beam of hope when uh, the games and amusements board uh, actually approached us uh, through the pff so they were saying that uh, it's possible to resume professional sports this year you just have to come up with your protocols you know in line with government directives um, and in coordination with the department of health um, i think the good the good thing during that time, Chris and Jing, was um, the other countries were already playing football. So I think um, the countries who started it first was um, EPL, La Liga, the Bundesliga. And then in Asia, we had the K-League. I think Vietnam for a time was really, you know, um, since they their infections weren't that um, that big, so they, they were still playing. And, and it sort of gave us hope and motivation to really make it work. Um, the good thing also about it is that since football is a universal sport, so we share um, universe, universal procedures in terms of match organization. So it's not really so different. Um, of course, in terms of infrastructure, you would argue that um, these countries are more advanced, and in terms of budget, you know they they have uh, very deep pockets. But uh, how do we now sort of uh, translate these uh, kind of uh, uh, procedures or protocols into our own very own context in the Philippines? Um, you know, in 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 the Philippines, we were really lucky because. Like uh, our league was just played in the national capital region, or you know, um, in in Luzon. So we don't really, it wouldn't really hurt the league for us to play, for us not to play home and away. So this is why we decided to have it centralized, and we were very lucky to have um, the PFF training center in Carmona, and we have full control of the pitch, um, the the clubs. Although it's quite far from, from Metro Manila, um, they were willing to travel just to resume practices. And then um, Kaya FC, they asked for, um, what do you call it? The blue pitch to be uh, considered as one of the training facilities. And um, thankfully, Gab approved of it. So um, yeah, the, the teams were starting to train already. And, and this was a good thing. Um, I remember, uh, seeing Jing before in the training venue and and you know if if you recall how we were we were stuck in our um, apartments in our houses and to see fellow colleagues um, to be in the match or training venue again was very refreshing so um, we 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 were very excited at that point and then um, of course it was very difficult not only for me as the organizer but we also have to think about all the individuals um, we talk about the teams and in the teams you talk about the coaches the players you know and and people like jing in the media side of, of football um chris with you as you know um a, a coach for for the youth um you know so like seeing players actually kicking the ball on a training pitch in this time of in this time of our lives you know amidst a pandemic was really uh, like a beam of hope can i, can I ask you a quick sorry. question so, oh, so sorry jing like obviously like that that gab the moment that gab came to the pff and then announced to you that there was a possibility that you guys could um, put together a, a league as long as the proper provisions were, 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 were and precautions were, were taken, uh, that seemed to be the sort of the watershed moment in this. But was there a point before that, as you alluded to before, like the likes of Ceres pulling out, where you thought, 
my gosh, we're, we're not going to be able to have a season this year. Was there ever a moment where you just felt like it was the tide had turned too far and just having a 2020 PFL season wasn't potentially feasible? Well, yeah, of course. Um, after Ceres announced that uh, they were not going to continue, um, it sent shockwaves actually all over Philippine football, right? If, if you were like following it. But um, of course, um, we are in a position to, um, like, my job is to make, uh, to first come up with a league and, and make it successful. So we really um, try to find ways and means on how we can still continue the league um, with or without Ceres at that point. So the initial reaction was, of course, you need to look for clubs. Um, very lucky that actually during the, the, the lockdown, this was March, April, uh, me and Anton Del Rosario were, um, you know, um, keeping close in touch because uh, his seventh league was affected and um, PFL was affected. So both of us were, you know, like, discussing and sort of like um, wondering what would be in store for us. So that gave me maybe a light bulb moment and Anton as well. Um, you know Anton, like if you talk to him anything about football, he's, he's the guy to really um, to approach. So I asked him a very simple question. I said, Anton, do you want to you know, uh, put up a club in the PFL and compete? Because I told him, you know, it's highly unlikely that you would be able to um, uh, mount your seventh league this year uh, because number one, it's not a professional league. And uh, number two, it, it involves kids as well. So he, he liked the idea. And, you know, just the day after our conversation, we were already like exchanging messages on, on how to go about it, you know, like go through the paperwork. Immediately, we set meetings with our club licensing officers. He brought Choi on board with him um, as the general manager and, and said and, and the other people who were, you know, um, instrumental in putting up this, this um, Harlika football club. So um, it, was a, it was a good uh, revelation. You know, it, it add, added more hope to, to fielding this uh, PFL 2020 season. After Anton, obviously, there was also the, the, the situation with uh, UCFC coming around, right? Uh, what Did you play a part in that as well? Did you have to navigate that alongside um, ACE and uh, the new management? Ah, yes. Sorry, I missed out on that uh, subject. Um, yes. Yeah, so when, when, you, when Ceres um, Negros uh, folded, there were talks that uh, a foreign investor would uh, take over Ceres. But at this time, they didn't have a name yet. Um, the, the good thing about it is that uh, Eric Gotchok, um, he's, he's actually uh, involved in the Philippine football scene ever since. Ever since. So um, it wasn't really hard for him to sort of know the people who are in charge. Um, it's a good thing that Ace and Gino were still there. Um, and, you know, of course, we would monitor the the, what do you call this? The progress of, of the transition between Ceres to United. Um, and there came a point where we were just confident to, to assume that uh, United City FC would be able to pull off the, the transfer. Um, I think the management of Ceres made it very smooth and easy for them as well. Um, and the players, um, thank you, thanks to the leadership of, I guess, Shaki and, and, and Bienve, they they um, agreed to, you know, to stay in the team. And, and although they, uh, most of them are in different countries now in Thailand playing, at least they stayed to play one more season to, you know, at least have United City FC uh, remain intact for 2020. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, isn't it, Gene? Because, you know, I don't know if Coco meant to bring it up. Obviously, we were one of the ones that had the conversation on our show, wasn't it, Gene, that we said, look, we don't know if this is going to be redeemable. We, 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 the, I mean, the headline was, you know, is this the end? And I remember Coco sending a message going like, well, what are we doing? You can't be, uh, you can't be putting those, those things out because it might, might sort of damage the reputation of the league. But it also was how we felt at the time. It just didn't seem to be anything to sort of latch onto. And, and I think it was important that we had that debate. And I think 
in the end, it, it did sort of spark a little bit of, um, of debate within our own sort of football community. But I mean, I, I felt that whole situation was handled extraordinarily well. I mean, the other one that I can think of, I mean, there's, a, there's a multitude of different things that were very difficult to handle. But the other thing that I thought was quite well handled by you, that was a really de delicate issue, was the whole uh, thing surrounding another big club, which is the, the club formerly known as Global. Um, I mean, that was another issue that, that arose that I was like, this, this just doesn't seem to be uh, another thing that's going to potentially derail this season. So um, just from your perspective, how did you manage to, to deal with that particular issue? Because from the outside looking in, it looked really unsavoury. And I, I thought it was something that you handled extremely well. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, regards to global. So actually, Chris, it was um, a very easy decision simply because we can um, determine what is right from wrong. So it was a very um, easy action moving forward. You know, players, players, you know, like professional players, they don't deserve to be uh, not paid. Um, the, the, the moment they train in the club, the moment they play for a match, um, it is the club's obligation to pay them back. So uh, if a club doesn't pay them, then the club has no right to, to be part of the PFL. It's as simple as that. Yeah, because I think that really sent a strong message to, to any other particular, uh, any potential team that's looking to join the, uh, to join the PFL in the future, that, that those standards need to be met because, listen, we've been around the block with, with, um, with the domestic football scene and there, there have been murmurs, there have been issues that have circulated around the, the league in, in previous years um, around this, the subject. And I think it is quite indicative. I think Southeast Asia in particular has that reputation of, of being, um, you know, sort of a little bit cutthroat with regards to players' contracts. And, and listen, I mean, we've seen it in other leagues, in Indonesia, in, uh, in Thailand, in, in, in um, Vietnam, where these sorts of things have gone to you know, the court arbitration of sport. And I think it really does tarnish the league. So I think, it, you know, when, when someone comes in with a strong hand and says, look, no, absolutely, we're not going to stand for this. I think it sets the right, sends the right message and it sets a precedence for other teams to make sure that they follow that in the future. And, and from a player's perspective as well, I think it gives them confidence to know that the governing body is going to be on their side should anything like this happen in the future, which I think is really, really important for the for the for the integrity of the league um so yeah kudos for you for, for how you dealt with that I, I thought that was that was handled um particularly well and it's something that i, I i've been a strong advocate for and wanted to, wanted to see that for, 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 a, for the longest time i mean as we sort of progress forward and we're sort of moving towards the um you know when we got into that bubble um situation like how was that decision um how was that how did you conclude that decision because Obviously, there's, there was a number of different ways that other leagues have done it. The you know, Premier League have done it by testing you know, twice a week. Uh, and, um, you know, the NBA had done a bubble scenario. Other um, competitions on the continent had done it different ways. What, what, what made you decide to go and do it in a, in a bubble format? Like, what were some of the things that, that made you come to that conclusion? Well, um, it, it was actually the, the directive of GAB that we proceed with a bubble format. Actually, we weren't really um, keen on doing a bubble format simply because it's expensive, number one. And then um, our players, they don't really, uh, they're not really like full-time football players, some of them. Um, they have um, nine to fives or they, they have businesses at the side, you know, how football is um, in, in the country. At, um, it's, it's not um, enough to, you know, um, um, Pay for everything, so that's the reason why we didn't want to be in a bubble. Also, we didn't want our season to be cut short, so we were planning for 90 matches. We were hoping to cut it to maybe 60 matches, minimum 30. Um, and and the way which we plan to combat uh, COVID-19 was through testing first. Um, we submitted the protocols, and it was actually denied. <laughs> So they told us to come back to us with a bubble proposal and um, there, there's a big chance that it will be approved. So we went back to the drawing board and, and actually we borrowed um, some excerpts from the PBA. They, they were 
um, nice enough to to share with us um, because they they were having they're planning their bubble at that time. So when we passed back, submitted the protocols to Gab and then the DOH, so IATF approved it. So we were left with no other options but to proceed with the bubble. But uh, this time we we uh, cut our batches to 15 only. Then of yeah. course, the, the, the matches happened and um, I think all across the board, the resounding uh, feeling was that um, it was a huge success. I mean, a lot of people enjoyed the product on TV. Um, now you've been around, um, not, not, not on TV, sorry, on, on, their, on their laptops and their, on their tablets uh, through the streaming services, but you've been around the game for the last decade or a little bit more. Um, how do you feel about what the feeling of the Philippine football community now um, after this season? Do you feel as if there's a little bit of a buzz going on? Um, what's your feeling of the pulse of the Philippine football community at the moment? So the, there's a sense of um, uprising now for <laughs> Philippine football, actually. Um, you, can, you can see it in the comments. You can see it uh, when the fans talk on social media. You know, um, sometimes I... I uh, chat with my friends and they're they're normally not the ones to watch philippine football but then it reaches them and they said that oh they they viewed this match between kaya and united you know and and i said wow it's it's nice that you're following the league but what made the difference he said no it's just more she opens up um youtube and you can at the click of a button just you know watch the games there so I, I really believe that uh, for you to grow the sport, you need to have a really good product. And by having um, quality matches streamed online um, where people can, you know, um, can, can just go to and enjoy um, will, is, is a big step for, for growing the sport. Um, and not only does it please the fans, but for the players also, um, a lot of them really congratulated the, the league, which I pass the credit to the broadcast team. I mean, they did um, a very good job. Sidelf, the team, you included, Jing, um, Nate, Tasha, um, who was uh, Dar Darren, yep. uh, Jamer, Paolo, who else? Yeah, and, and um, Direct Glenn, Iko. These guys really did a, a good job and, and we're very happy. Um, of course, you know, the, the product will still continue to evolve. So, um, last season, we, we had five camps, I think. So now we're looking into more like seven camps and, you know, higher angles, more angles and, uh, more like, um, like, a, a pre, like a pregame halftime show, all of that. So it's just going to continue to evolve. Um, it's good that, um, that the fans and the players and everyone in the football community is, is, starting to appreciate it. Um, it gives us more um, fuel in our passion to you know, uh, keep improving. Um, and not only that, but uh, it's, uh, well, I, I'll just share a little bit, but uh, there are clubs already approaching um, PFL. Uh, they, they are wanting to join. Ah, PFL cats out of the bag. Cats out of the bag. Okay, keep <laughs> going, keep going. Yeah, so um, over the break, I've, I've been talking to two clubs. Um, they, they want to uh, join uh, PFL 2021. So I said, you know, I, I will make it um, not easy, but uh, I, I, I will um, make sure that no, it's doable for you. you know? So, you know, like with Maharlika FC, Anton and, and Choi and them, they really did a great job to join PFL 2020 on such a uh, short decision, no? Uh, me and Anton, I think we spoke April, sometime around April, and lo and behold, they, they already competed this season. So um, we're actually having an expansion program in the PFL where um, we we allow um, infant clubs to come in and grow within the league. Um, I, I've discussed this with you and, and Chris. So it's a good program. Um, a lot of it is tied into club education and... Um, uh, you know, it's not like you come in as a big club and we expect you to have everything already. No, it shouldn't be that way. So it's more of a developmental approach. So whatever you want to be, 
in the future as a club, you just make it a, as an objective. You don't have to achieve all of it now, but we make sure that you eventually achieve it through like- Can I just um, jump objective. in there, Coco? Can I just ask you a quick question? Because one of the issues that I experienced with a lot of clubs was when it was under the, the PFL guys, when it first came in, there were so many restrictions and uh, compliance issues that a lot of clubs needed to adhere to that they either you know, try to find a loophole in you know, like, for example, like we're having a formal academy, for example, like not many clubs did. So they would just try to manufacture it and it wasn't actually real. Um, or they would try to find the loophole, you know, and so it wasn't ever really um, properly adhered to as you would in the manual. Do you know what I mean? But under the sure. provision the AFC have, um, had mandated. So just, I mean, you have mentioned it to Jing and I, but just for the listeners and the viewers, uh, what, what are some of the things that... Um, are flexible or what are some of the things that some of the clubs have said look we're not going to be able to uh, potentially have like a full-blown academy for example but maybe we can do some grassroots initiatives that might offset that like what, what are some of the concessions that you've had to make to enable some of these uh current clubs like Mahali could participate and what some of the future clubs might be afforded also sure so basically if if you enter the the league bfl uh there's something we call the club licensing regulations. And in that regulations, it's a long list of things that you have to tick. Um, there are criteria which are graded A, meaning you must have it B, um, like best effort and C, it's, it's when you can, you know? So we sort of um, kind of adjusted the regulations to tailor fit it to the status of most of the clubs in the Philippines. So one of it, one of which which are non-negotiable is having a, a squad no? and having a, a, an A coach, a B for an assistant coach. So those are non-negotiable because, you know, it really affects the, how the, the club participates in, on the pitch. Um, and then for, like, for example, the infrastructure, we don't, we can't really um, assume that all the clubs have are. I mean, like they own um, stadiums, no? So it could be a simple uh, MOU with a, with a stadium and say that every time we have a match and we're hosting, that we are capable of hosting in this venue, you know? And the, for example, the youth academy, um, I know right now that it, it's tough because if, if you're a new club, you can't just assemble a youth academy at this point. So we make it as an objective for them. Because, um, you know, when, when you enter as a, as a club in the PFL, you shouldn't just treat yourself as a team. You need to have like a, a long-term vision also. And this is what the league provides to the club. Um, we want you to realize, or we want you to um, look at your end goal as well. What is your objective of joining the league? Because in the league, we, we have guest teams but preferably we have professional clubs and clubs by definition have um, youth academies. So um, we need to share our vision as well. Um, if, but, but at the same time, we don't, um, we don't ask for it right away, meaning um, that you, you, you should have an academy uh, right now. We can maybe plan for it that, um, okay, we plan to have an academy in three years time. So, in two years' time, in one year time, this this is our roadmap on how to achieve it. So it's something like that, Chris. Um, you know, I I I, I uh, my analogy of it is I liken it to like buying a car. You know, like if I was if I need a car, I want a car, and to buy a car, I can't afford the entire let's say 1.2 million now, but I can do it installments because the objective is you know um, I pay it. I pay all, all the dues and eventually own the car. So it's, it's kind of the same concept with the club. Um, and it's very important. You know, we, although we sort of adjusted the licensing regulations, it doesn't mean that, you know, you can just be forever a team in the PFL and not have your own vision and or grow your club. Otherwise, you know, it would, you would be just, you would just be like a sort of a warm body there in the competition. Um, our objective really with the PFL is to, um, what do you call this, cultivate a uh, football communities through clubs. So this entails the youth academies and, and the community outreaches and all of that, which 
we will eventually um, uh, achieve, uh, you know, if, if uh, this pan after this pandemic, hopefully. Yeah, and obviously that ties into what we've been harping on about for so long, Jing, which is about the sustainability element. You know, I mean, I look at, there's obviously been a number of clubs that have been, you know, one and done because obviously to get the finances together to, you know, I look at like for a locos, for example, like obviously it's a shame that they, they only did one season, but obviously the, the, the cost of everything was so exorbitant that they weren't able to sustain that. Uh, and and that, that, that's a shame because I think had they given the, the time and the opportunity that I think they could have been a pretty good club. Uh, on the on the domestic scene so you know i think if teams are going to be sustainable and they have got all of those foundations in place like you said it just fosters a more harmonious football community that everyone can get on board with and then those kids who are part of a team they can then go and watch their elders playing in the competition you know that's that's something that i think we had back in the ufl days there was that strong connection with the clubs and then had the affinity with those men's team and that's what had that that sort of vibe. And I know you, you, both you and Jing were involved with that, but it's something, Jing, that we've been speaking about since day one, isn't it? About that sort of sustainability element and having that sense of community amongst all of, all of the football players, fans, um, all, all together just enjoying that the, the festival of football, really. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting yeah. question, you know, uh, Coco, sorry. Um, because the sustainability aspect, as, as Chris mentioned, is the big question mark now, right? There's going to be eight next year, but will those eight remain over the course of the next five years, right? And we just continue to grow the roster because if, if teams keep dropping out, then we're never going to have that full-fledged 20-team league that we're, we're probably dreaming of in, in a decade's time, right? Yeah, so the, you know, the one thing we have is the benefit of hindsight. We, we've seen how um, UFL flourished with, you know, um, with, with how they ran things. And we've seen how PFL sort of um, uh, professionalized the, the, you know, the, the dealings in, in, in the professional football club scene. Um, and, you know, we, we can always marry the best of both uh, practices, you know, between the competitions. Um, our thrust now really is, is growth, you know? And, and when you want to grow something, you really don't want to blow things out of proportion. So um, I think um, growth um, entails uh, sustainability and, and viability. And so these are the things that we need to understand. Um, I think one indicator of our successes would, for growth would be more clubs. And if there's less clubs, then it, does, it, it means that we are not successful that season because some things simply did not um, work you know, with, with our objective towards growth. Um, we do have a midterm uh, plan. So we plan to grow the, the league through um, addition of clubs every year. So uh, ideally it's always two clubs uh, per year. And then eventually we put a cap until such time that we hit 16 clubs, then we start a second division. So, um, we have to treat also the clubs at a case-to-case -case basis. Like for example, Mendiola started um, two years ago versus Maharlika started um, last, sorry, this year, no? So they are at a different um, uh, status in their, in their uh, existence in, in the PFL, no? So you have to treat it um, separately. And also with Kaya. Kaya cannot be compared to a Mendiola or Maharlika with its um, club organization and its development. It has to be different. So that's why um, we, we came up with, uh, we are planning to come up with like uh, several uh, status of licenses, like, like a gold standard, a silver standard, and maybe a, a bronze standard to um, really uh, categorize the clubs and see what they're capable of doing to see whether you know, they, they are ripe enough to take it to another level and eventually, because the main objective of some clubs is to reach the AFC Champions League, like for example, with Kaya, with United, maybe with Stallion. But some clubs, they're not really in it for the international competition. They're in it for the, dom the domestic development of, of, um, of football, not through their players. So um, maybe, like the, the likes of Menjola now and, and the Maharlika, eventually 
they will um, reach that standard wherein you know they can host an AFC Champions League, they can compete in it and, and whatnot. Um, and then eventually, Maharlika will climb the ladder when, like for for example, next year they climb up the ladder already, and the two new entrants they come in as infant clubs, you know, and and we see we assess them every year on whether they're ready to progress or, you know, um, the keys for improvements and all of it has to do with uh, club education, really. Um, there are a lot of uh, stories uh, with clubs abroad, especially in, in Japan, in, in J2, where um, these infant clubs can, can pick out from, you know, um, best practices and, and um, what do you call this, objectives, which they can uh, not, they, they can pattern their, their trajectory for growth. So, as the league, we are actually um, planning to have a a workshop or modules for for this club education, and and hopefully um, it sets them it sets them on the correct path, and um, a lot of clubs who are existing now would would follow to join in the PFL. So just to be clear, the two clubs that you mentioned are infant clubs. They're not returning clubs. They're infant clubs. Which ones? The, the two oh no, these would be. Um, well, the, the one club has had UFL experience. Ah, ah, UFL experience. No, they, they have not. Um, well, the, the, the people in there were part of a management of a UFL uh, team, but uh, it, it's a different team. Ah. Uh, but this one had, had uh, UFL experience. So. You almost got him there. You almost got him there. He really he did so well to avoid that, giving that away. He did a good job. <laughs> Good, good try. I, I, I fully appreciate the effort. <laughs> <laughs> Run with it, guys. Whatever details he, he just gave out, um, try to figure it out. Uh, let us know who you guys think uh, Coco is pertaining to for next season. But uh, going along the trend of, of sustainability, I think the big question, Mark, over the last few years, especially in the start of the PFL, was the home and away format was a huge drain financially for a lot of people. Uh, especially for the big clubs, if you're flying to Davao and all of that. Um, are we sticking with a more centralized format for the coming year? Um, and if so, how does that play into the mandate also to harbor communities or to grow communities? Because if you can't physically play there, then it, it, it becomes a little bit difficult. Yeah. So if, if you remember, Jing, was it the uh, last note? it last year yeah so it was more of a centralized format in a sense that the clubs all sat down and said hey we can't afford to go to Bacolod or Iloilo or or and other areas so we're we're comfortable you know playing here in in Manila so we did uh, understand so this is the reason why it was played in Lipabatangas and Carmona and um yeah. where else? I think and Binyan yeah. I think the reason was because Rizal was under renovation for the SEA Games. Right. Um, yeah. UMAC as well, I think that their um, grandstand is, um, they, they can't accommodate. Yeah. So that's the reason why it was played there. Um, and this 2020, we it's it's a centralized, so meaning it's the league who took over and, and organized this. Um, and this is something that I'm looking to to propose moving forward for maybe the first three years after 2020, so maybe until 2023. The reason behind Jing is that um, I really believe that um, football should be a business. And when you host, it shouldn't be, when you host in your community, it shouldn't be seen as an expense. It should be seen as an opportunity because once you host a, a football event, you know, imagine all the, the things that, that you can make possible, you have for a day real estate where you can you know invite your fans to support your team, invite um, vendors, you, you know your merchandising. It's endless possibilities. So this is part of the education for which which the clubs need to understand that it's not um, something that you know um, is a burden for you to host. It's an opportunity. It's like you two coming to the Philippines. It's like Coldplay coming to the Philippines. You know, it has to be like like this thinking. Um, can you imagine if 
like for example, the national team, Philippines, Suzuki Cup, um, we qualified for the, uh, let's say, semifinals. And like we did uh, during Chris's time, we, we, we failed to host in the Philippines because we, you know, we didn't have the, the, the infrastructure to, to, you know, accommodate it. So, um, you know, the, the, the fans felt that we missed a really big opportunity here. So it's, it's the same thinking, you know, if, if you as a club build your fan base or your community big enough for you to say that, hey, every time we have a home game and we bring it to Iloilo, it's going to be big. You know, fans are going to be excited. It should be the other way around thinking rather than, oh, it's going to be an expense out of our pockets and we're not going to get anything out of it. Mm. So um, that, that's one thing. But uh, like, for example, in last year, um, although we played in Manila, um, when Kaya asked if, you know, um, some teams can play in Iloilo and I think Air Force was yep. the ones who said, okay, we can, you know, ride our C-130s and <laughs> go to Iloilo. So we made it happen actually. And, and props to Kaya, um, you guys really did a good job in organizing the competition there. But uh, <laughs> like, I think most of the Air Force players were, we're from Barotak, no, or, or Iloilo. So it was an even share of fans in the stadium. And man, the, the, the game of how Air Force played in that stadium, they almost beat Kaya. I think the scoreline was 3-4 or something. If not, for the, you know, if not one for the, I think the referee caught a foul inside the box or something. It would have been a draw 4-4 or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, huh? something like that. Yeah, exactly. But yes. when there's fans, man, right? You know, like when, when your, your family and friends come out, the people that you know, that you grew up with, come out to watch you play, it's different. Yeah, it's different, really. Yeah. And, and the excitement is different, you know? And you just make a culture out of that. And in no time, maybe two to three years, you'll have, be able to pack the stands, right? um, <laughs> I I just wanted to share this um, learning experience I had in Japan. Um, are you familiar with uh, this club where their A boards are like three folds? You know, uh, be behind the goal they have A boards, and then they have another um, level of A boards and another one, and then the touch line same. So, um, this club in Japan is is now in uh, J two. Um, if you go to their matches, you would see mostly kids and um, elder people, and these elder people would be accommodated by their children. So meaning these are the ages 30 to 40. And so these um, mid-aged people would have to bring their kids as well to enjoy. So the whole family is there in the stadium. Um, but before it wasn't like that. They didn't have sponsors. They, they weren't winning games. They didn't have money and they didn't have fans. So out of the four, um, they said, we need to you know, um, reach our objective. So out of the four, which should we focus on for us to be able to you know, uh, make our club better? So you know what? They decided, although we're not winning, we don't have money, let's be the people's club. Let's have the community love us. And they did it by um, holding you know, um, free, uh, what do you call it? Free clinics for the children. Um, Every Saturday mornings, they went to schools and teach the kids how to uh, eat properly, exercise properly. Um, the elderly people, they took care of them. Some of them, they, they bathed them. You know, they asked them to write, uh, read them uh, stories. So obviously, when, when you come up with this connection with this, um, with this team, you would feel like uh, obligated to support them during their matches, no? So um, in, in one match, they packed the stadiums. And of course, as a player, it's nice to see that a lot of people are cheering for you. And as a player, he shared that he knew most of the people in the stands. Oh, this is a, the, the guy I, I, um, I read a story to. These are the kids who I taught how to pass properly, you know, so it becomes a community. And when the sponsors saw that uh, the, the stadium was packed, they invested money. They said that this team is loved by the community. If my brand is attached to that, you know, then 
of course the through affiliation people would support my brand as well and i would have you know all this uh, exposure so when the sponsors came and it the, the sponsorship they told me wasn't wasn't like a, a huge uh, you know chunk of money it's it's more of like tiny um, coffee shops um, laundries and and other small restaurants would 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 sponsor the club um, so the club had money now when the club had money they started to invest in players really good players when they when they um, bought a very good striker defender and a keeper they started to win games now so it's it's now uh, evolving and uh, eventually from j2 they reached all the way to j1 so you know th these are just like examples of success stories of clubs who started from small but they just really focused on the, the important things and eventually you know um uh they they, they climbed great uh, greater heights so coco i mean as much as i'd love to see jing bathe the elderly you know, I, I mean, I, I'm guessing that there's um, there's only so much that either the clubs or the league or that the federation can do. So is that sort of, do you think that sort of scenario there, is that a sort of a mandate you're going to give to the clubs? Or is that something that the league will try to do as a league and then hope the benefits benefit, um, the, the clubs benefit from that? Or is that something that maybe the, is a directive from the PFF and then it's their responsibility to get involved with the game as a community like where, whose responsibility then does that, who, whose shoulders should that be on then to try to cultivate that, that community? Sure. Well, um, I can only speak in behalf of the league since, you know, uh, the federation has their own initiatives. So as the league, you know, when you talk about the league, the league is uh, only under our leadership. It's only under our governance. But really, who is the league? That's the question. For me, the league is consisted by the clubs and consisted by the players under the clubs. I think that that is our um, football umbrella in the league. Um, the league is just a platform where the clubs go to compete, no? And, and we organize it properly. Uh, we make sure that there is good exposure to the league so that in turn, um, a lot of support will go to the clubs as well. But for me, um, aside from the competition aspect of things, um, the clubs really play a vital role as they are the ones really forming the league. Um, the, the league, as a league, we can provide the leadership, we can set the direction, um, we can um, sort of uh, pave way for, um, for, for growth and for, uh, what do you call this? Um, yeah, basically we, we, we pave the way for growth, but uh, the real stakeholders here really are for me, the clubs. So the clubs, some of them, they, they, have, they are already in the right direction, like clubs like Kaya who have you know, youth academies, um, Stallion, uh, Menjola is planning to have, and, and Maharlika, they're, they're very aggressive with their um, connection to Manila. Um, what else am I missing? Well, ADT is a team, but um, they also have other plans um, to, you know, to come up with their own community. Um, United City. Maybe, yeah, yeah uh, United City. Well, United City has, has very big plans. Um, they're looking at their field of dreams. They're looking for um, a stadium where they can build and, you know, make it as their, their home. So these clubs have different ambitions, no? And, and it's, it's very important for the league to have very ambitious clubs because their growth equals our growth and our growth equals their growth. So it's really a symbiotic relationship. Um, to, 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 get, to go back to your question, Chris, on whether it's the responsibility of the clubs and the league, I think it's a shared responsibility in a sense that we as PFL allow them to grow and them as a clubs, um, them as clubs, have to have their objectives and you know it's only it's not only inside the pitch it's also outside the pitch um, for pfl side we do have our own csr we we also um reach out to the community but in the end of the day um when you're a football fan as much as you support the, the league itself you also need to pick a side so it's also the club's responsibility on why a football fan should choose them, you know? So 
that's that's my uh, thoughts on that. All right, pretty exciting stuff. I mean, eight clubs for next year. Um, a, a mandate uh, that the clubs will watch and and look how the PFL hosts. Uh, events properly for the next three years. At least that's what you're telling us. So the clubs are going to pick that's up and learn. Oh, they're going to learn from the PFL. Okay. Yeah. And no better man to learn from than the, a guy who's actually, uh, maybe perhaps people don't know this, but you've been traveling around, going to a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars. You've gone through a lot of courses uh, as a representative of the PFF or, or of this country. And um, you picked up a lot of tricks of the trade uh, along the way. Right. Uh, you want to touch up a little bit about your background uh, on uh, on football administration and and else uh, and other things that you've dabbled in. Sure. Uh, where uh, where do you want me to start? <laughs> okay, so you've got football administration. Were you just that was the most recent course that you do? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a certificate program. It's um uh, actually a uh, what do you call this? It's more of an all around kind of thing like a short MBA for football. So it touches from marketing, um, finance, uh, crisis management, um, match organization. Uh, what else do you have? Uh, and uh, basically like uh, income generation and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a lot of things um, in, in a short uh, period. So we, it was six months. And uh, we we did it in Malaysia. We went there for four four times, but uh, all in total six months. And then you're also what uh, media officer accredited um, match commissioner. Uh, I don't know is it general coordinator also? What what else? Okay, let's let's do uh, chronology. So in UFL, I was marketing manager, and then. Uh, PFF, I was media officer for AFF and AFC and PFF competition, uh, sorry, uh, in PFF, and then general coordinator for AFF competitions. Then I was a VAR coordinator um, for AFC. And then uh, I took the match commissioner's workshop in Cambodia, and then the football administrative course in Malaysia. Then I was operations manager in Abu Dhabi for the AFC uh, uh, Asian Cup. Uh, what else? Uh, and then uh, for PFL, I was competitions manager, and then now I'm the league commissioner. Yeah. Incredible! It's an incredible journey, man. It's quite a journey as a as a football man. Did you foresee this when you started off in the UFL? Well, not really, Jing. Um, it was 2009. I just you know just graduated. And I didn't really have much in front of me. I was, I had a bank job, uh, a management like program waiting for me in a bank, but I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go that route. Um, so uh, the Football Alliance, very passionate group of people um, took me in as their marketing manager. And that's where I met you, Jing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and man, like uh, you, uh, you know, growing up in this industry with you, has been amazing. I've, I've learned a lot of things from you. Um, I think you're brilliant and, and you shared with me a lot of ideas. Chris, at that time, I mean, until now, I, I looked up to you, Chris. Um, that game you had is phenomenal. Jing, I don't know if Chris knew about what, how, what we were doing in Nomads during the time we, they beat Vietnam. But uh, to me, it's, it's still fresh. <laughs> How, how we were watching it, where we went after, who celebrated with us. I, I think that was a UFL match between, I think, a Sunken Garden and an Armed Forces team, where we celebrated. Yeah. yeah, where we celebrated um, when the, the first goal was scored and the, yeah. the, the, was this, the, the, the players stopped the game actually and watched the replay. Man. That was that was that was an amazing time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, for PFF, the my first role was actually a a guy who played the national anthem. You know, when they're about to march in, that was my first role in PFF to play the national anthem. And then I um I was uh, what do you call this? Promoted to a venue announcer. 
So for uh, for a while it was venue announcer, and uh, yeah, and then things just you know went went from there. So all of these things, all of these years spent in football, would you still consider yourself more of an artist and painter or a football man? Jay, I haven't I haven't lifted the paintbrush and and a pencil in in two years already since I was appointed. Wow. <laughs> so. You know, maybe maybe later on when when I retire, I, I can pick up the paintbrush again. <laughs> Been that long, huh? I I have a piece of your work here at my house that I still put up and yeah. display. That's right. Yeah. So, um, gal, you, no more galleries, uh, no more exhibits, rather that you you put up. When was the last one? The last one was actually here in Bacolod. So oh. it was Sugarcane Diaries. Then I I have some some private collectors. They message me and and I, I paint for them, and it's more of a commission based thing. So when I when I have time, so it's been two years, Jing. It's been two years since I've I've lifted the brush. Um, I've been been on my keyboard for a long time now and on the pitch, but I'm I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Um, so far this uh, journey. Um, working for Philippine football has been um, an, an honor, actually. It feels good to be in a position where you can, you know, uh, serve Philippine football. And it also feels good to be surrounded with like-minded people like you, like Chris, you know, and, and all, a lot of supporters in the community. You know, I when, when I stepped in as the commissioner, I've been getting a lot of private messages. A lot of people seem to slide me DMs, you know, um, congratulating me, unsolicited advice, you know, but I don't mind it. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, it, it keeps you going. Man, it, 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 it's, it's been incredible watching the journey. Um, you know, you go through all the things that you've gone through and then to wind up here now on a cusp of something very, very exciting. Um, it's it's it feels fresh to be in Philippine football again. Like you know, like you, you're wondering what's around the corner rather than dreading what could be around the corner. Um, so, uh, congratulations again. Uh, it's been tremendous and uh, it's been really enjoyable uh, being along the journey with you uh, on this. Um, Chris. No, I, I totally agree with you, Jing. Uh, Echo and his sentiments. You know, I think you know, if you look back to earlier this year. Um, yeah, it was just, it was such a dark cloud that was hanging over the domestic game. And, um, you know, fortunately you didn't have enough time to paint or draw or, you know, cause you were, you were busy concocting your, your master plan. And, um, you know, I, I think from the outside looking in, although we were very worried as to how things were going to transpire, I think in the end we were, we were greeted with a wonderful product the one, and, and, a, and a tournament that we all really enjoyed. And exactly what Jing said, I think, um, is palpable now, that sort of feeling of excitement for what's to come in the domestic game. So hopefully that this is just a sample of, of things of what's the, of things to come. And uh, ex exactly what Jing said, it, it's more excitement and uh, not a panic as to what's around the corner, but more really looking forward to, um, you know, seeing the potential that's in front of us and hopefully seeing that come to fruition. So now we really appreciate you coming on and just uh, giving your version of events and uh, your, your own accounts of how things went this year. And, and we're really, really looking forward to, to seeing how things develop in it, next season and in seasons beyond that. So, so thank you very much. Thank you, Chris and Jing. Um, if you or should I, like, like do I have a... Sorry, go. Am I supposed to like do do a like a like an ending or something? Or... <laughs> no, you you do whatever you want, mate. It's your show. <laughs> not obligated to do anything. Oh, I, I was just gonna cap off that if you guys are interested in Inasal, Coco Torre is also an, a man of Inasal these days. So he's a busy man. Maybe that's the reason why he has been picking up a paintbrush recently. Too busy, <laughs> uh, creating a league and, and keeping people fresh with the fresh taste of Bacolod here in Mandaluyo, actually, where, he, where it's from. So uh, check it out at Coco Torre. Um, it, it's falling apart for you over there. But we appreciate yeah. you coming on uh, again. Uh, it's been tremendous. And um, is there somewhere that people can go to follow you and perhaps um, get updated on things with the league or 
maybe your your art, maybe your NSL. Where do they go? <laughs> For football, you can follow uh, We Are PFL in Instagram and the Philippines Football League in Facebook. And of course, we have the six clubs. Uh, we we will be sharing on how you can follow um, them. For for Inasal, we are JT's Pioneer in Instagram and, and Facebook. And for um, my personal, you don't really have to follow me. Just follow the two and, and I'll be very happy. <laughs> A man of the people. All right. We appreciate you, Coco Torre, the man of the year for 2020. It's 2021 now. We've got a fresh start. And we've got uh, an entire year to look ahead to. And we, we look forward to it with plenty of excitement. Thank you for joining us on this Football Friday here on Across the Line. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to our YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcast. Uh, drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Who do you think uh, are those two new clubs? Uh, who are these familiar faces that might be on their way back into the world of the top flight of Philippine football? We'd appreciate your thoughts on it. Uh, send us a like. And that is it for us on this Football Friday. We'll catch you next week.